Good morning, everybody. Today is Tuesday, July 19th. Welcome to episode 156 of the Simply Cyber's Daily Cyber Threat Briefing. <clears throat> I'm your host, Dr. Gerald Dozier, and over the next 30 minutes, I'll be delivering the top cybersecurity news of the day and providing expert analysis on each of those stories and maybe a mild flip out along the way. We'll be talking about what it means to you as a practitioner, how these stories relate to current, um, you know, ecosystem of cybersecurity, or if you're a practitioner, I mean, if you're uh, looking to break in the industry, either recent graduate, military transition, maybe career pivot, understanding what is actually happening in the world right now is going to be incredibly valuable in helping you A, crush an interview, and then B, be more effective as a practitioner. Shout out and thanks to this stream sponsor, Barricade Cyber Solutions, my friend, Eric Taylor's company. Cyber criminals have stolen your company's data and derailed your business operations. Barricade Cyber Solutions will help you resolve this ransomware attack and get your business back on track. Guys, I say it every day. They're like the fire department for technology. If your house is on fire, that's not when you want to start figuring out who the best fire department is. You should definitely, if you don't have a incident response company, reach out to Barricade. You can go right to um, barricadecyber.com and set up a no commitment meeting with Eric and just talk through what your needs are and see if there's a fit. It's a, it's a good idea. I want to remind you, if you hold professional certifications that require CPEs, each episode like this one of the Daily Cyber Threat Briefing is worth half a CPE. Now you might be thinking, Jerry, a CPE, one half. What do I do with one half? Keep the table from wobbling? No, they stack. So two and a half a week, 10 a month. Be sure to say what's up in chat so you can literally burn it in to the socials here and have an audit record that you were here and you can get credit for it. I will say, if you are gonna document Simply Cyber's daily cyber threat briefing for your CPEs, just to keep your sanity, I would recommend you do it once a month, right? So at the end of the month or whenever your month started, go into your ISC squared or your ISACA dashboard, right? Cause it's a clunky dashboard, it always has been. And document one month july 2022 daily cyber threat brief 10 cpes you only have to do it a few times i think you got to get 20 a year minimum and 40 a year on average so you do it for a few months you'll be right as rain i want to remind you if well i already read that if you're live love it 66 people already here on the simply cyber platform and many more coming from uh, all the other destinations that we push to, including Twitch and LinkedIn. I appreciate all of you for being here. If you are watching on replay, drop a hashtag team replay in chats. I appreciate you catching the stream, but I want to make sure you get credit for those CPEs. So definitely say what's up. Uh, and if you're not sure, just look at the chat because people like Poner Joe, Chris Weaver, um, Eula Chu is in there. Like, all sorts of great people dropping hashtag team replay representing. So uh, if you are on the West Coast and you're catching this live right now, thanks for getting up. This sip of coffee is for you. Mm. Now, if you're new here, when that timer in the corner, this corner, whoop, gets to zero, we're going to start the show in this slide right here will change to news stories. But for the next one minute and 57 seconds, what we like to do here 
is welcome people into chat and get that coffee rolling. So I got my uh, Black Hills Information Security Blue Team shirt. I'm glad that they like uh, unvaulted this and re-released it because I've got the red team one, but it's such a poser move because I'm not red team. I'm not pen tester. I'm like a child with a chem home chemistry kit trying to figure out the hell's going on. But blue team, that's more my jam and that's how I'm rolling. What's up, uh, Rebecca Fisher, Dilshan, Shakora? It looks like for those of you watching on YouTube, it does look like the YouTube feed is not coming through on chat, which is quite unfortunate because I do enjoy all of the uh, Simply Cyber YouTube uh, communications. I see uh, Navina was on YouTube, Carrie, Joel. So the YouTube was working and now it's not working. Uh, I actually have an open ticket with Restream, the platform I use to stream, uh, to get this sorted out. I am going to open my Discord and make sure that my mods, uh, if there's any mod chat guys and you want to help me out with this, um, let me know. All right. Actually, wh while I'm doing this really quickly, what I would like to do, you guys are going to get to see the magic behind the, uh, well, maybe you won't see the magic. Let me see really quickly. I just want to see if I can look on the back end and see if I can see um, the chat actually happening. Because it's, it's I don't know, man. This isn't a free platform. I certainly pay for it. So I kind of have expectations of higher quality, right? Let's go into the studio. All right. Thanks, Eric Taylor. Are you seeing chat in YouTube? Yeah. Hi, everyone. Okay. All right, so Leonardo, Team YouTube is not live. I actually have, here, I can kind of do this in the most janky way ever. <laughs> okay, so I have YouTube chat going on over here on a different window, and I've got LinkedIn burned into the screen. Um, guys, we're, we'll just make the best of what we got, okay? Looks like the timer ran out. I do want to say really quickly, because I do um, appreciate you being here. What's up, Kimberly? What's up, Jessica Probst? Not only IT, Tony MBA, all squad members, Alfredo, I see you. Uh, much love and respect. Appreciate you supporting through the squad membership. All my LinkedIn folks, Monty, Jim Lunn, be talking to you uh, pretty soon. Reza, Eric Silverman. Guys, oh, by the way, before like final thing, and then we're going to get started, okay? I really do appreciate, I'll be the first to admit, guys, I don't know everything. I'm not great at all things cyber. I'm good at some things and I'm bad at others. I really, really appreciate. I saw Eric Silberman do it yesterday. Uh, Chris Weaver has dropped some great uh, comments in chat on YouTube after the stream has ended, really giving some context. Uh, Chris Weaver, for example, gave one around that Lithuania um, attack that Russia did a few days ago. And I didn't really understand why Lithuania would be a target. Chris gave some really, really great context to that. Uh, Eric Silberman commented on the GRC stuff yesterday. So I learn from you all just as much as I share my knowledge too. So thank you for taking the time and, um, you know, providing that analysis of your own. All right, let's get into the streams for today. From the CISO series, it's cybersecurity headlines. It's Tuesday, July 19th, 2022. Albania hit with cyber attack. 
Albania's National Agency of Information Society said it was forced to temporarily close access to online public services and government websites due to a synchronized and sophisticated cyber criminal attack from outside the country. No official word where the attack may have originated. This comes after the country shifted most public sector services to online portals earlier this year. The government is working with Microsoft, the consulting firm Jones International Group, and local security companies to prevent the attack from damaging or compromising Albanian information security. Well, okay. Again, this is one where I don't know if Albania is somehow, like how they might be involved in this Russian-Ukrainian conflict. What I will say is <clears throat> this has a lot of interesting... Um, hallmarks if you will or fingerprints uh, like in 2014 i believe it was 14 estonia became like the first country in the world to go fully online like everything estonian government was online and then estonia got knocked offline um allegedly i'm not sure if it's completely confirmed but allegedly by russia and it just showed that you know if you if you lean into this and you basically have a dependency on it infrastructure that you are vulnerable to that particular type of denial of service attack. This Albania one, it sounds just the same, right? Like they went fully online with all their government and then immediately got knocked over. So you just got to be mindful of that. Um, yeah. I mean, this one doesn't, I guess from a practitioner perspective, this is good to just keep in mind that governments are not, you know, invulnerable to attack because they're big and uh when you when you put all your eggs in one basket you know these type of things can happen i hope they get um back up and running you know i hope it was minimal damage uh to these individuals so we'll see all right yeah i see you on discord hexing pirate vendors not patching for speculative execution the firmware security company Binarly issued a report finding that many enterprise vendors are not patching with mitigations for a variety of speculative execution attacks. We recently reported on one such attack called Redbleed, which found a way to get around existing return trampoline or repo line mitigations. But Binarly found that 339 firmwares from HP, Dell, and Lenovo didn't even use the repo line mitigations in the first place, calling it a failure in the firmware supply chain. The report also said that in cases where firmware was updated to add mitigations, it found implementation mistakes that spawned subsequent security issues. Okay, so this this one I actually have some thoughts on. We talked the other day about Hertzbleed, or no, not Hertzbleed, uh, Retbleed. And by the way, compliments on the logo, right? <laughs> Love the logo. I, I think that might be my new thing. I'm really into vulnerability logos. So anyways, Retbleed, it's a speculative attack, which means it's basically, um, I don't want to say it's attacking the firmware hardware, but it's looking at the way that the processor is architected um, and it's typically architected for speed. So when it does a calculation, it'll kind of push it off into kind of a register or a um, like a local memory. And the idea is that next time it has to do that calculation or pull that type of data, it doesn't need to spend the processing cycles to um yeah tom bishop thank you yeah youtube's fine over here it's just restream platforms got a problem here's the problem when you push it into memory you don't need to do the processing next time you need it which saves you processing power and time right so you can be faster as a processor 
The problem is that threat actors have figured out how they can kind of reach in to that space and pull that value or pull that data out, which is the attack. Now, here's my thing. The, they, they point out that 59 processors or whatever or implementations did not actually put the, um, the fix in. And then the ones who did kind of did it in a mucked up way. Two things. One, this is fairly complicated. So to fix it can be challenging. But I think this is hot take central here. Where's my spicy? Listen, here is what I think happened. Okay. They looked at it and they said, okay, what happens when we put the fix in? Well, you know, like pushing my glasses up my nose because I'm the engineer now talking to management. Here's what happens, sir, ma'am. The processor is slower, performance goes down, end user experience suffers. Ooh, that doesn't sound good. That sounds like the people who give us money will be unhappy with our product. What happens if we do nothing? Well, there is a possibility in a very targeted attack with you know high sophistication um, that someone could steal some data, right? But the general population of our end users are not gonna be affected and those who are being targeted, it's not a guaranteed hit rate. Hmm, let's not do anything about it. That's what I think it is, right? To me, guys, it's all about the money. Where's my straight cash, homie? Straight cash, homie. Thank you, Randy. Listen, I honestly think that this was not implemented intentionally because the cost versus the impact, right, to the end users was too high. So they just did nothing. <laughs> DARPA looks into open source. We've covered a lot of software supply chain stories on this show, and it turns out DARPA has been taking note too. The research agency launched the Social Cyber Program, an 18-month-long project designed to map, understand, and protect open source code in communities. This will combine automated tools for code analysis and social interactions of open source development. This will include things like sentiment analysis to see what kinds of participants and events prove disruptive to open source projects. DARPA contracted multiple teams of cybersecurity researchers who will look at code contributions to critical open source projects like the Linux kernel or Python, as well as identify areas of underinvestment where important parts of the open source ecosystem are run entirely by handfuls of volunteers. Okay. This is a pretty cool uh, fun fact. If you don't know, DARPA, originally ARPA, invented the internet. I know what Al Gore said, but here's the reality. DARPA invented the internet. Uh, very cool story. Way to go, DARPA. Okay, so check this out. They have been taking note the fact that social media, I mean, social media, I'm looking at chat right now. Uh, it seems like some of the YouTube users have figured out that I created a live stream channel on Discord and you can use that to comment and be seen on the screen. Fun fact. Okay, here's the deal. Open source code is used everywhere. People take from it. If you've ever seen one meme, you've seen them all um, of programmers, you know, pulling code from Stack Exchange, pulling code from places, jamming it all together and running it. That's why I always identify, before I was in cyber, I was a software developer. I never say software engineer because to me, the difference is an engineer builds something beautiful and a developer just jams things together and the end user never really sees the hot mess on fire behind it. They just see the end product, which works. Well, because all of this code is being used by um, important systems, right? We just saw 
and this might even been the catalyst that did it. When Log4j in December of 21 came out with that massive vulnerability, it was everywhere, including on the helicopter that's on Mars, right? This was a major concern. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. Open source is everywhere. We have no idea who these developers are. Is there a concern? So this project right here, it, it's a little creepy because they're going to be studying all of the code and then also the sentiment of the developers, right? So AI, machine learning, they have the ability to tell like, oh, this is like someone who is angry. This is someone who's happy. This is someone who's empathetic, right? So beginning to meld kind of a personality behind the code contributions to understand if maybe this is uh, malicious or this is um, spiteful, right? So it, it's an interesting, it's an interesting uh, project. DARPA is always dabbling in uh, kind of weird uh, fringe projects, but this one's cool. We'll see how it goes. But I'm glad that they point out that supply chain is a real thing and um, the world relies on open source because it's faster for people who are software developers to get to their solution and get to their weekend much faster. Alibaba hosting exposed databases. Oh, there the we Wall go. Street Journal sources say Alibaba executives have been called to answer questions from Shanghai officials after a trove of Chinese citizen data appeared for sale on a dark web market. Cybersecurity companies speaking to the Wall Street Journal found that the exposed police database discovered earlier this month had been running using outdated technology that lacked a plugin needed to password protect it and use a security certificate that expired in 2018. The companies also found 13 other Alibaba hosted databases using similar outdated tech that had been left online for roughly a year. One exposed database had over 60 terabytes of data, the other had 92 terabytes. After the leak of the police database became public, Alibaba took these databases offline. Okay, a couple of things here. And I might be wrong, so chat, please correct me. I am tracking two different chat windows now. Alibaba is like Amazon in China, right? So they do hosting services. So first off, the fact that Alibaba executives were called in for a exposed database that was probably put up by somebody else, right? So like, it'd be like me having a leaky S3 bucket and then Jeff Bezos being called in by President Biden to explain why, why I had a leaky S3 bucket, right? And I'm sure it's much more at the macro level of like, why don't you uh, secure these things by default, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, I'm not surprised. The database that got leaked was in, in our morning threat briefing last week like a million people or a billion people. It was like, a, it was definitely more than a million. It was an outrageous amount and it looks bad. And guys, I think we've seen enough right now where China's clearly into controlling the flow of information. And when you have a billion person data breach because of an outdated software and no password, you're going to have to answer for it. Uh, so yeah, I wouldn't want to be an executive at Alibaba right now. Um, I don't know if this is going to stifle innovation uh, for people in China that are use Alibaba services um, because who knows if they'll require everything to be, you know, uh, not publicly available and stuff like that. So I don't know. It's not good though. Anytime China authorities call you into their office, <laughs> you know, I'm not into that. No, thank you. Hard pass. And now thanks to today's episode sponsor, All right, let's read the Six Clicks. 
Six Clicks has pioneered a unique hub and spoke architecture to underpin its AI powered GRC solution and cater to markets requiring scalable, multi tenanted GRC. This model enables organizations to deploy multiple autonomous GRC entities connected to a single hub for roll up reporting, management, and visibility. For more information, visit sixclicks.com slash LP enterprise hub spoke. All right. Thank you, CISO Series. And really quick, what's up, Janine from Houston? I saw a couple people um, chime in from Saudi Arabia. Allison Van Stone up in here. Good to see everybody. Um, YouTube chat, thanks for keeping it streaming. I see you guys rolling on that. The emotes look good. I do want to remind everybody while we're here, this Thursday, um, this Wednesday, so tomorrow at 11.30 a.m., I'm actually going head-to-head on in the Threat Gen Red versus Blue Cybersecurity Simulation Portal. I will have my red team shirt on, not my blue team, because I will be on the offense taking on one really talented SecOps expert, Brandon Poole. You guys may know him. He's been on the show a couple times back in uh, 2020, 2021, and... He knows his crap, guys. He's really good. He is, if you've ever heard the role detection engineer, that's what Brandon is. He does a bunch of other stuff, but he is a true detection engineer. And he's a really cool guy. Great personality. He's going to be streaming on his channel. I'll be streaming on my channel. And then ThreatGen will be streaming as like a e-shout casting sport event type thing. So if you're interested, uh, head over to the youtube.com slash ThreatGen channel. And, uh, well, I might lose again. Eric Taylor chiming up in chat since he put the hurt on me last time I went heads up. But I'm hoping for better outcome uh, this go around. So, guys, YouTube.com slash ThreatGen. I'll put it in chat right now. If you want to come check it out and hang out with, uh, with me or with Brandon, your choice. I'm putting it in both chats. There we go. All right. Let's keep it rolling. TikTok CSO steps down. The platform's chief security officer, Roland Cloutier, announced he will leave the role, transitioning to a strategic advisor. We've covered recent changes at TikTok to work with Oracle to process U.S. user data, but Cloutier was not in charge of TikTok's department managing that transition. The company said the move wasn't related to renewed security concerns about the platform, stemming from a recent BuzzFeed news piece. TikTok's global head of security risk, vendor, and client assurance, Kim Alberella, will serve as interim CSO. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. This sounds like spin to me. Um, r- this guy was the chief security officer, and he's he says stepping down in the title, but he's really stepping sideways to an advisory role. I mean, what is that? Like an advisory role is kind of like a hired gun, right? Or a contractor who's doing like consulting. It's probably, if I had to guess. I don't know what happened behind closed doors, right? They'll never, that'll never get out. But if I had to guess, this is a graceful firing, <laughs> right? Can't like, you don't want to disrupt the apple cart with troubles at the top. So you just, you know, why don't you go stand over there for a few minutes, Roland? And uh, we'll keep talking over here. That's a, that's a, if I had to speculate, right? Obviously it's salacious, but TikToks come under a lot of scrutiny. Um, they're moving to Oracle. There's talks about whether or not the data is being sucked back to um, 
China for analysis and stuff like that. You can see right here, it's talking about the Committee on Foreign Investment. So who knows? I haven't heard anything as far as like the product goes and the end user experience and hacks going on on there. So I think this is much more with the bigger picture of what's going on, but whatever, you know, <laughs> I guess it's nice to be at the top where like you don't get fired. You just get given a new job with no, again, I'm speculating here, but like a new job where you have no responsibility um, and you're just told to kind of like go stand over there until the news story dies and then you can find a new job. In fact, here's, here's a fun thing. Mark Tape, Roland Clotier, let, uh, let's check in on Roland and I don't know, what do you think is appropriate? Like three months, six months? Let's say six months. That's enough time to find a replacement for him. Let's say six months and Roland will not be an advisor at TikTok. Spyware used on Thai activists. A new report from Citizen Lab found that at least 30 individuals in Thailand had NSO groups Pegasus spyware installed on devices, spanning activists, academics, and NGO workers from October 2020 to November 2021. In many cases, the spyware was deployed before protests or other political activity. Apple sent many of those impacted a threat notification in November 2021, who subsequently reported the intrusion to the local human rights group ILAW. Citizen Lab reports this marks part of a broader shift in Thailand, with the government more engaged in activist monitoring efforts since the 2014 coup in the country. NSO maintains its spyware is used by government clients to target serious crime. Wow. Okay, so a couple things here. I know it might be hard to read because of the... So I've been thinking that Pegasus was the malware and the exploit, but apparently um, you need to use Kismet and or forced entry which are just names of zero click exploits. So like, this is basically, think of it this way. This is what rips a hole in the side of the boat. Pegasus is what it crawls in afterwards and, and starts doing all the nasty business, right? So you need a hole and then this is the actual payload. Uh, and this isn't um, uncommon, right? We saw this famously, famousest, famously, famously, Jesus. Coffee's not working yet. We saw this famously with um, like Emotet, TrickBot, Ryuk, right? So Emotet is its own, you know, capable malware. But Emotet was being used as kind of an initial punch into an enterprise. And then it would pull down TrickBot, which was way more of a fully featured post-exploitation um, malware load for info stealing and uh, all of those type of things. So for me personally, uh, after I get off the stream and do some other stuff, which I'll tease in a minute. Uh, I'm actually going to look at Kismet and Force Entry. I'm kind of curious. Also, I want to say shout out and thanks to Apple um, for notifying these compromised individuals of the compromise. Like, I don't know how, like Apple obviously must have some way to detect when a device is compromised by either Kismet Force Entry or Pegasus, right? All of the text messages have to go through Apple's, you know, servers right for iMessage and all that stuff so they must have visibility over it when it happens so good on apple for being like that also i want to just point out that google project zero did research around these zero click attacks which i will look into the reason i point out google project zero is because i think google project zero is awesome you guys want to talk about like top top tier security researchers in our industry Many of them work for Google Project Zero. Uh, one dude, Tavis Ormandy, I believe that's his name. Give me one second. Tavis Ormandy. Yeah. 
this guy. Uh, well, no picture. Yeah. Tavis Ordinary, computer security hacker. He's currently employed at Google as Project Zero Team. I know you guys can't read that, but trust me, this dude is, oh, he's he's really a, a impressive individual. Like, just to put it in perspective, and then I'll move on to the next story. He tweeted one time, <laughs> he tweeted one time, got a two-hour layover at LAX. Let's look at LastPass. And then before his flight took off, he just he responsibly disclosed to LastPass a like major vulnerability that he discovered. And he like he tweeted out that he did it. Uh, he didn't disclose the vulnerability. But I'm just saying, like, if he wants to look at a piece of software, he will find something horrible with it. If if like that's how it's like reading a menu for me. But him looking at code and finding vulns, like he's he's really really accomplished and. Most of the Google Project Zero team that I have read and seen have have been very, very impressive. He's just one of the team members. So definitely check out Google Project Zero. Facebook starts encrypting links. If a site or service wants to track what links you click on, tracking parameters in a URL are the industry standard. These can be used to track across pages and properties. However, we've seen browser makers starting to offer URL stripping as a privacy feature. Mozilla notably rolled it out in Fox version 102. In response to this practice, Facebook began encrypting entire URLs into a single ciphertext blob. Since there's no tracking parameters that can be specifically identified by the browser, there's little that can be done to stop this practice short of decrypting the URLs. Wow. Okay. So this kind of blows, but it's not surprising. Okay. Here's the thing. This is, remember, if... A service costs nothing to use. You are the product, okay? Just just to put this in a use case, Facebook is one of the biggest sites on the planet. I don't use it, but a lot of people use it and they don't pay anything. Why is that? Because they are the product, okay? So these browsers, as privacy becomes more... Um, as privacy becomes more and more like mainstream and people are like, oh crap, like I really don't like having all my crap out there. Browsers have started introducing privacy um, elements, right? Firefox did it. Brave browser is a, you know, privacy first type browser. Well, it seems that Facebook's business model of harvesting your data is being impacted by these privacy constraints. Um, and one included... Uh, preventing URL stripping. I mean, URL stripping was happening, so you could not, um, they couldn't take that data, right? Well, now Facebook encrypts it, so you can't um, strip it, and it basically breaks if you try to. So this is this is a very subtle um, response to privacy features on browsers. And you might say like, oh, that's gross. Like, why not allow privacy? Well, the thing is, Facebook's not making money if you've got the privacy settings turned on, right? <laughs> So it is interesting. I love how like quiet and, you know, espionage-ish it is that they roll these things out. Like, can you imagine the meeting at Facebook where like the, the devs are sitting around? They're like, hey, listen, Mozilla's got this really cool privacy thing because those dev people are humans, right? They're into their own privacy. And they're like, oh, that's a really cool feature. And then like the manager's like, well, it's hurting our bottom line. We've got to figure a way to like circumvent this privacy feature to make it um, like nerf it basically so it's not useful. Well, let's do this thing right here and encrypt links. Done. So this isn't the first 
This isn't the last, guys. This will be an ongoing, I don't want to call it battle, but we our privacy has been getting perverted for years for capitalism. And people are waking up now and realizing that they don't like that, especially as it becomes way more obvious that information at the macro level can be used to um, influence you and cause you to take certain opinions. I mean, there's a lot of angry people who are polarized on many, many different topics. So people are waking up and wanting a bit more privacy or at least the illusion of control of their privacy. And this right here is trying to combat that. So very interesting. CISA goes international. The Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency announced it plans to open its first international outpost in London later in July. CISA has routinely worked with the UK's National Cybersecurity Center on joint advisories and has seen collaboration increase since Russia's invasion of Ukraine. This also comes days after the White House announced CISA and the FBI signed cybersecurity collaboration agreements with Saudi Arabia's National Cybersecurity Authority. Wow. If okay, so this is a big one. This is interesting, okay? CISA, Jen Easterly, they've been doing great work. Great work, right? Um, President Biden released that executive memo about basically strengthening cybersecurity. Threat intelligence sharing was like top on the list, or it was one of the top ones on the list. CISA comes on the scene. Jen Easterly gets hired. She brings a fresh look as director. Um they start releasing like, you know, as needed, but at least weekly um, public vulnerabilities that are being actively exploited, like basically prioritize these ones. They're doing that. Um, she's going to conferences like like mainstream conferences, not Fed conferences and being the face of it. CISA doing all sorts of stuff. Now they're opening an international branch. I find this interesting because, guys, this isn't 1952 where, you know, geographical land boundaries define the scope of what your reach is. We live on the internet and there are no geographical boundaries. People in, you know, Asia can touch us in the United States. And, you know, we in the United States can touch people in South Africa, right? Like it's all one big ecosystem. So having um, joint partnerships, which we've had, the five eyes has been a thing for a while, but being able to share Intel and, and not just in a email way or as oh god a taxi sticks type way, but actually having people on the ground there in London and there in Saudi Arabia to actually interface, meet, discuss strategy on how to improve sharing knowledge sharing. Um, this is cool. This is really cool. I I do wonder for my elders in chat who might be more uh, federal. U.S. federal. I do find this interesting that this is happening and we didn't hear any hubbub about Department of State. Usually, usually, guys, in the federal government, it's like anywhere else. It's like Game of Thrones and there's all sorts of like hoarding of power and like don't like stay out of my um, stay out of my play space and stuff like that. So Department of State is much more concerned with like foreign affairs and all this. And CISA is not under Department of State. So I find it interesting that like Department of State didn't open their own like information security group underneath them and said, oh, we'll coordinate with CISA. Like this is just like, nope, like, hold on. I don't know if you're going to see it on stream, but like this is CISA kicking in the door. Like, 
Oh, you didn't see it. God, trust me. I just did like a like an awesome like guitar solo uh, kick. That's Jen Easterly kicking indoors and not playing by the old traditional rules of how federal government power hoarding works. So this is good. This is one of those things like it, it seems like a nothing story. Like, oh, okay, they opened an office. Big deal. Enjoy the frequent flyer miles. But this will pay dividends in six months, a year, right? Faster response times, better threat sharing, maybe coordinated law enforcement attacks. Ooh, I'm on my new, my old machine, so I don't have the, um, whoop, whoop, that's the sound of the police. But I will get that, okay? That's, that's what's up. That's what's up. I like this. All right, so I think that's it for the news feeds today. I do want to give a um, reminder to everybody that this Thursday, whoo, Tony NBA with the squad. Thank you, Tony. Patriot Eek still there from the other day. Guys, tomorrow I've got the uh, Let's Play with Brandon Poole, but Thursday uh, on Simply Cyber Live, we're welcoming Dave Klein from Simulate, the active adversary simulation platform. We've had him on the show before. Uh, I've used their product. It's a good product, good company. Uh, but he's going to be coming on and talking to us about SOC analyst life, right? So if you're an aspiring blue teamer or you're an active blue teamer, I'm looking at you, Tom Pike, Stacy Loki, so many of you out there, blue teamers, Eric Taylor. Guys, the SOC analyst role, it, it, you know, you can get alert fatigue. You can get beat up, you know, right before your end of your shift, alert comes in. It's kind of tough to put it down. You feel like you might be letting someone down or maybe you work through it and then your personal life suffers, right? Well, we're going to be talking about how to make the role a bit more fun, a little less stressful. You're not going to be able to like eliminate all the stress, right? It's a job. But we're going to be talking about innovative ways. Last time Dave came on, we had an awesome chat. So I'm hoping for another awesome chat. He's a cool dude. Uh, and that'll be good. Okay. Now, here is something that I want to share with everybody. Okay. Um, Spotify. No, 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 no. Apple Podcasts, Simply Cyber. Okay. I'm also going to try. It's a day that ends in Y. So I'm going to try to turn the music back on. If my audio got all muddled up. Here, I'm going to see if my noise suppression. Do I turn that off? Reduce background noises. Um, no, let's see. Stereo. They have echo cancellation. Turned off echo cancellation. But, oh. Thank you, DJ BSEC, letting me know that the audio is good. Guys, I literally don't know if the audio is going to work either. Like, it's, it's, it's an adventure for me, too. Here's what I want to sh share with you guys. I know you can't really see this too well, but... This right here is the Simply Cyber Podcast. Now, uh, shout out and much love to uh, Casey Gasca, a.k.a. Base Case, who has kept this thing going. I was going to shut down the audio podcast a while ago, and Base said, hey, let me help you out with that. And he's been doing a fantastic job. I've been teasing that the Daily Cyber Threat Briefing, no normally this podcast is only the Thursday Simply Cyber Lives, right? So that one hour show the Dave Klein thing that's all it's been well I know so many of you like don't want to leave the YouTube app open right like you're driving it sucks your battery down you put it in your pocket and if your skin hits the screen and all of a sudden the the thing yeah I, I agree that we need to here 
this is i'll add a link in nightbot here we go put that there um basically what i'm trying to say guys in like the most long-winded way as i try to produce this show is um i'm going to be pushing right after the daily cyber threat briefing unless i have a meeting or something right after the daily cyber threat briefing i'm going to post this show onto this podcast so basically around 9 to 9 30 a.m eastern standard time you will be able to consume the daily cyber threat briefing in an audio podcast format i know it's going to hurt the live stream numbers but that's okay i'm not about the live stream i mean i love seeing the live stream numbers but i'm i love getting this information to you in a way that works for your life right some of us you know don't have an option to do this right so if you're at the gym if you're mowing the lawn if you're taking a shower whatever you'll be able to consume this in an audio podcast format obviously some of the visual cues won't be there like like me doing the guitar with the, the leg kick through the um through the door jen easterly style but i think it's an 85 percent solution right so definitely uh, check it out you can get it this is apple Podcasts, but you can get it on spotify stitcher like basically every major podcast platform will be available so you can share it out that way i will just so you guys know and i'm like i'm being fully transparent i will do this for 45 days thank you josh mason i will do this for 45 days if the numbers do not reflect that there is a group of people consuming this i will stop doing it it's not a threat it's just what like i i'm not going to take the time to do it if no one's doing it like if no one is consuming it because they're doing it on the live stream that's cool but i I will give this a fair shot and see if this is something that the community wants okay i think people want it people have been asking for it um so and i'll tell you what again fully transparent i'll share the numbers with you guys after a month or so and we'll talk about it and we'll go from there right okay so that is what's going on with that. Uh, I do want to tease out that this, I'm, I'm kind of excited. I have been working with an amazing web developer for the last, I don't know, seven weeks, eight weeks, back and forth. She is amazing. The simplycyber.io website has been completely revamped, okay? It's not it's not live right now. I'm I'm pushing it live this Friday. We're going to do a big reveal on the stream Friday. But guys, a lot of people have asked most notably the resources, the free resources page. It's like a junk drawer, right? And I tried to organize it somewhat. That has been completely redone. So now there's like filters and quick finds and stuff. So like you'll be able to get to the free resources that matter to you way faster and find it way faster. Plus the overall look and feel of the website has been uh, optimized for both mobile and desktop. And it's like far less pages. It's like, I have a professional web developer helping me now. So <laughs> so it's actually designed for um, like ADA compliance and it's designed for uh, usability and optimiz- uh, optimized load times and a bunch of other stuff that I didn't even know was a thing. So. This is just part of the evolution of the Simply Cyber community, right? So super pumped. Um, I actually texted her last night. I was like, can we launch this thing this week? And she said, yeah, let's do it. So 
I'm ready to do. I'm ready. I'm ready for that. All right, guys. It has been Tuesday, July 19th. I've had a lot of fun. Learned about a bunch. Sorry that the chat is kind of janky. Uh, I will contact Restream and continue my conversation. Dan Reardon, the website will go live on Friday, Friday morning. In fact, I might even launch it like late Thursday night, just as like a soft pub. But on the stream Friday morning, we will spend a minute with this and I'll go through it. And um, yeah, it's exciting. I'm, I'm, I'm super pumped. All right, everybody. Hey, Liam. I see Liam on YouTube. Liam, I hope you got your uh, phone situation sorted out. You shared that with me. That sounded really unfortunate. Eula Chua from the West Coast coming in live. Hashtag team live. Love it. Michael Torres. I see you, Jess Bishop. Chinadu, always nice. All right, guys. Be good. Thank you for being here. If you got value, hit the thumbs up, right? Sub if you haven't. You know what's interesting? Before we go, what's interesting is 50%, 50% of people who watch the daily cyber threat briefing are not subscribed to Simply Cyber's YouTube channel, which I find interesting because, I, I mean, sub or don't sub, it's it makes no difference to me. But when you sub, you get notified when we go live. So like half the people who are watching are remembering that it's 8 a.m. and they got to get on to the stream versus just subbing and being made aware when I go live. So I, I do find that interesting. So if you'd like to optimize your life a little bit for efficiency, consider hitting subscribe. But most importantly, and I ask this all the time, if you think someone you work with could get value out of this, share the morning stream with them. I am... I'm, I, I, I come every morning at 8 a.m. to deliver these stories to you because I honestly believe that there's real value in understanding what is going on in our world from a cybersecurity perspective in order to make us better practitioners. That's going to do it, y'all. Be good. We'll see you tomorrow at 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Take care.